You're listening to The Spirit Hunters, a member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Find out about our pod brethren and how to join our new Discord group and support the show at podcast.hyperx.com and patreon.com slash spirithunterpod. Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. High-quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Micro Center, Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart, or shop directly at HyperX.com and HP.com. Episode 17 of the Spirit Hunters. This is Joe. Sarah. And a special guest. Special guest, please introduce yourself and tell people where they might know you from besides your previous appearance here. Ah, hey, uh, my name's Rocky Hardy. Um, I do a podcast about video games. Um, you can find it wherever podcasts are found. Um, and we also uh, stream at uh, twitch.tv forward slash impossible coin. That's also the name of the podcast, too. Oh, I didn't say that, huh? Damn. Sorry. No worries. No worries. Well, I mean, I'm glad they'll... they'll. The more we talk about it, the more they'll internalize the name, actually. <laughs> so that works out perfectly. But, uh, Sarah, could you tell us a little bit about what happened last time? All right. Last time, we watched Asgon finally reunite with Kite at the Hotel Rathlesia. And Gon finally got his nun back. This week, we'll see as two worlds of the big bad baddies collide when the Phantom Troop face off against the Chimera Ants. You better get ready. Nice. So the first episode we're covering today is episode 96, A Lawless Home, a.k.a. Muho na Homu, originally released in Japan on September 15th, 2013. The equivalent manga chapters are 224 through 227, which were released in Japan on November 15th, 2004. Um, just a quick note, the episode name Muho uh, can be broken down to mean Mu without, uh, like Muda Muda uh, from Jojo. And the, pr- the principal Ho, uh, though in Chinese it means law, reason, or form. So like in Japanese it's principle, while in Chinese it's law, reason, or form. So... The meaning as a whole is something like without principle, but in Japanese, it has the connotation of unreasonable or unlawful, though the equivalent Chinese phrase means something more like hopeless or impossible, both of which kind of work to describe uh, their homu, aka just a Japanese pronunciation of home as katakana. But yeah, uh, so the episode starts with a news report analyzing chimera ants as Uma, U-M-A, unidentified mysterious animal and mentions that half the cops who responded to the calls died. Uh, she mentions they are capable of speech and that Lael spoke of, uh, on his underdeveloped theory of imperial rule. When asked if he uh, was really what he said, he killed her, which is shown with a freeze-framed video right before the contact was made. Um, I thought this was like an interesting choice of words, this like underdeveloped theory. I'm, I'm wondering if there's like a word that's either used more commonly in Japanese that we don't really have like an equivalent concept for, or... Um, if just calling someone's like theory underdeveloped is just like a thing people do. Uh, possibly. I've never heard it used in any 
sort of like research, at least academically, from like a Western education perspective. But so it's not quite a hypothesis. It's even before that, like a brainstorming, essentially. I don't know if they're saying it's like less far along the process so much as just like not well thought out. Oh. But just like the way they said it made it sound like it was such like a thing that I should know about that I was like, what? <laughs> That's it. it I kind of like that word, though, because sometimes with theories, people will maybe it's like a like far out there or it's a reach but they have an actual like um <laughs> uh, just a one word way to describe it <laughs> yeah like qanon or oh. the new chronology <laughs> oh <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually really interested to see if there if there is something that newscasts like this do because it does seem like it was specifically meant to like discredit a uh, lael and uh it it was really funny to see how the images that they were showing that like the chimera ants are like powerful, but they're like, you know, trying to show that they're less organized as if to like, I guess maybe not rile people up about it. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. It is interesting because I feel the world simultaneously is afraid of them, but also like, yeah, this isn't that unprecedented because I do know that the world as a whole is aware of magical beasts existing um, but like, yeah, I guess the Chimerians are unique for their level of intelligence combined with power combined with how fast they reproduce. Yeah. And I think it could also be said that's like a natural human defense mechanism mentally, because I think with going through overall themes, it's kind of questioning who's at the top in terms of the food chain, but also in terms of like power and having other sentient beings questions humanity's place at the top so it could be something where people aren't ready to accept it and the news doesn't want to like either personal biases of the newscast don't want to accept it either or they just don't want to panic the public That's a, yeah that, that could definitely be a reason that they would like call it undeveloped there was also a, another line where, like, uh, where it's kind of throwaway, but she mentions like the un unidentified mysterious animals, and then she says that they have no fear of humans. And I thought that was an interesting choice to include as well. Mm, yeah, I guess the other magical animals they've found have been like deep in the forest, which would, to me, imply that they like try to stay there. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting. Um, but yeah, so the news report ends with the Phantom Troop assembling in front of a TV that's showing this uh, with Fink's, you know, wearing his problematic Egyptian cosplay again <laughs> uh, and saying, let's go, which then cues the opening. You know, it's very, um, I know the answer for Rocky on this is yes, but Sarah, have you ever played, uh... God, is it Metroid Zero Mission? No, I haven't. <laughs> okay, so the beginning starts with this emergency broadcast out to the world. It's like, oh no, you know, extremely dangerous animals. The Metroids are here. And like you see Samus like suiting up and getting into her ship. And then like the final shot of the opening credits is just like the ship like diving down onto the planet and, you know, just starts from there. And I got that, those vibes from this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. <laughs> uh, so in the next scene, uh, Requiem RNA. Uh, plays as the phantom troop approaches um, you know it's kind of been their theme through this point uh, and the troops talk the troop talks about uh, the provenance of the ants and is wondering why the ants came quote-unquote all the way out here as they cross the desert 
Shizuku remarks that the ants might have chosen this place uh, because they were isolationists and that here might fit that bill. And then it goes to a full screenshot of Meteor City, uh, which, you know, I, I think before I got to this point in the manga, I was not expecting it to be like a literal trash heap. Like they've shown like flashbacks of it, but I was just like, oh, yeah, maybe the troop just played in the shittiest part of town. And then it's like, no, no, this is just town, actually. <laughs> Uh, it's like those episodes of like Aqua Teen Hunger Force where like Frylock leaves for a while and then it's just Shake and Meatwad left to their own devices and how it turns into like just like a nightmare hellhole. Uh, the crew are then approached by a group of dudes in gas masks who tell them a number of people who are dead, including victims and suicide bombers. Um, previously, Meteor City being full of suicide bombing zealots was only talked about in the manga, which was released right after 9-11 uh, in January 2002. And was removed from the 1999 and 2011 anime until now. Um, so it's interesting to see that come back. I guess maybe they felt they... It, I was going to say maybe they felt they couldn't extract it from the plot. But like they really easily could have. And I, I'm not saying they should have. It's just surprising that they're just here now. I feel like in the show... like I, I mean, sure in the manga... like It's definitely an obvious nod to the manga. But like the show like in isolation, I suppose... It doesn't really imply that they are suicide bombers because all they really say is that bombs are not effective. Oh, you know, yeah, I might have been writing in something from the manga where they explicitly call them suicide bombers, which vague spoilers becomes very relevant in the manga after the anime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, but anyways, uh, the ants have been converting people into ants and it most likely kills people, uh, but those who survive become followers of Zazan. Um Finks is annoyed that the council can't decide whether to take revenge because they are squabbling if the people are dead or altered, a.k.a. is this reversible? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in a previous episode where we had my friend uh, Danny on, we talked about the parallels with sort of, um, I guess, like, zealot era, like, biblical Israel during the Jewish revolt. And just, like, the idea of, like, the leaders uh, being unable to come to, like, good plans and, uh, you know, Jesus, who's... Krollo, who's sort of a Jesus figure, again, his followers, like, taking issue with, like, the legalistic implications of, like, the the leaders of the time. And it's interesting seeing that parallel kind of continue. Hmm. Yeah, no, Krollo is very, uh... I think we described him as, like, the Antichrist, but not in the simple, like, one versus negative one way. It was one versus, like, the square root of negative one, so it was one versus I. <laughs> <laughs> sentence joe goddamn let's go yeah we're just like uh what's like double reverse but like not like inverting it like it's not like doing 180 plus 180 equals 360 it's introducing another dimension of of inversion yeah it's a diagonal movement rather than like a left or right exactly <laughs> so uh zazan shows up as the queen who demands everyone their surrender and she declares that laying eggs was her mother's greatest mistake as it was inefficient and that she is her mother's only success. She takes over people's bodies by injecting them with uh, her tail, uh, with her tail's queen shot, turning them into her slaves or like thralls, I guess. I think thralls make sense. Yeah. That was <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I actually was like very fascinated by this part. Cause it was interesting. Cause I feel like thralls, oh, even though she's a scorpion type kind of reminds me of that one fungus that also oh, controls the cordyceps yeah, fungi? the cordyceps so that at least takes over different um animals but i don't know if there's like an animal equivalent that can essentially 
brainwash another animal. Um, not as directly as this, but I think we discussed on a much earlier episode where I did a deep dive on like ant biology that there are certain ants that can trick other ants into raising their young. Right. And then like the ones that then hatch eat the quote unquote brothers and sisters because like they recognize they're not actually the same species. Oh, so because I've known that's other animals too, where they kind of trick like the cuckoo bird where it tricks. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a more like relevant example for you know humans and the like (laughs) but it's not the same as like actively turning someone into a thrall (laughs) yeah and technically even the cordyceps doesn't really do that Mm -hmm. what the cordyceps does is like dumber it basically just makes those insects like attracted to high spaces so they like basically climb up plants and then it forces a muscle contraction that forces their arms to then get stuck holding like very high places and as the fungus develops because they're unable to move now and they die from dehydration and uh you know starving Mm -hmm. um their body's taken over by the fungus and then it just shoots out of like the dead corpse Uh... so it's actually not nearly as intelligent as taking over something such as paralyzing their muscles in a grip position after getting them to climb very high that makes sense oh okay Actually, one that I thought, and I don't know how scientifically sound it is, but when people talk about cats and people who own cats and that, like, parasite, I think it's, like, I don't think it's toxic, toxic phimosis. It is. It is that yeah. it compels people to take care of cats. Um, It is sound, but, like, I don't think it, like... I think it makes people, if I remember correctly, it's something, like, it makes people less suspicious of just, like foreign animals basically mm-hmm. something to that effect okay and that like the grand majority of cat owners not the grand majority but that a much higher percentage of cat owners have an infection than like non-cat owners hmm. so i don't think cats actually control people so much <laughs> as just like hey they have like a very useful symbiote yeah <laughs> Um, and honestly, the way we use pets, if you looked at it from like a purely like evolutionary biology point of view, is also kind of cynical too. So yeah. can't really call cats evil for that. But that's like if you want to take out all human emotions <laughs> from all your relations and just be the worst person. Um, but yeah, speaking of being the worst person, uh, the Phantom Troops show up. Uh, through the front door, and uh, they Scooby-Doo style decide to split up because they are all in a race to kill the queen, and they don't want each other to know their abilities. Um, Pike, the weird spider guy, feels them through his web and notes that all the troop members are specials. Pike is a huge simp for the queen and goes out to lay down his life for her. And uh, Zazan wears a battle adornment and laments her mother's greatest tragedy was not knowing the joy of combat. So really just... A mom-focused episode. Happy late Mother's Day, everyone. (laughs) Actually, you know, this is feeling more and more like Alien and Metroid the more we speak with how much has to do with mothers. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were fans, right? Oh, yeah. I'm 99% sure Togashi's an Alien fan. He's a big fan of Giger, and he's a big fan of horror, so why wouldn't he be? Mm. Uh, I forgot to mention something. Um, When I posted some of the pictures from the manga of, uh, I think... You know, I'll get into this in the manga section because otherwise I'll be spoiling that. But uh, Banalanov uh, fights the ant that gunned down Ponzu, who is named Gyogan or Fisheye in the 2011 version, but only the 2011 version. He doesn't have a name anywhere else. So it's probably not even like quote unquote official. It's just an easy way to describe him. Uh, 
this uh, basically this Gilgon uh, rips off Banolanov's bandages and finds out he is full of holes. And Banolanov starts to dance and stir up wind. Uh, and a la Jojo, the narrator begins to describe Banolanov's membership to an Amazon native-like group of warriors, complete with being ethnically cleansed by deforesters, who pierce their bodies as part of their warrior religion slash culture. Um, Banolanov reveals, like, basically a Nen battle adornment that's like kind of like a very stereotypically tribally African. And I was just like, I really hope there's a specific thing that you're referencing here rather than just like something weird. <laughs> yeah like resident evil 5 yeah <laughs> yeah uh and so he hits gyogon with his strongest normals uh which gyogon then shakes off so uh this episode employs like a lot of cuts between different fights so it cuts to shalnark uh who seeks to strike his opponent with his needle in order to win automatically calculates he has about a 20% chance of doing so unscathed. You know, it's very Dr. Ichigaki-like. Surprised he doesn't just literally have the uh, calculator out with him. So he gets the antenna into the big guy, but it doesn't work because it turns out it's actually already being piloted, uh, piloted by another manipulator who's an ant who starts lecturing him about how the abilities of manipulators are first come, first served. Shalnark says he's going to do something undesirable and it cuts away. Because of course it does. Uh, Finks is fighting a many-armed gorilla who says his punch ain't shit, but Sphinx, uh, but Finks starts charging his punch on uh, the gorilla's direction. You know, very, very much like the Green Knight. Finks uh, is a, uh, I was gonna describe him as a Dev Patel-like figure. Then I'm like, no, I guess he's the Green Knight actually. <laughs> he's just a, he's just Gawain. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, and then wipes the guy out with his Karmic Loop Ripper Cyclotron, which is just a great name. Honestly, like, I really like all the fights in this particular episode or like these couple of episodes, but like thinks like basically taking out, I was like, Oh, a free hit for sure. I'm going to do another punch. And like the dude laughs at him until he starts winding his fist. Like that is just like one of the greatest, like a reversals I've seen in a long time. It's so good. It's pretty awesome. I, I wonder what like upper limit there is to that. I mean, <laughs> They'll probably eventually talk about it in something. And I wouldn't be surprised if the upper limit is just like, hey, if you're fighting someone who knows what they're doing, they'll see what you're doing and try to stop you early. I hope it's more like, you know, he there is like a overcharge where like uh, it gets to a point where he like throws his own arm off or something. Oh, maybe either that or it then becomes something about like draining defense from the rest of his body or something. Oh, yeah. He wouldn't be able to hold up the net elsewhere. That makes sense. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, he then says, quote unquote, half that would have been enough. Finks basically just becomes, uh, you know, younger Tagoro here who said that after killing Helen, the, the giant beast monster. Mm -hmm. So he then, uh, gets all Harvey Dent and flips a coin to decide who to help next. Oh my gosh. So cut to Shalnark asking about what's going to happen to him now that, uh, you know, the ant has captured him and he says he's going to be a slave. Shalnark says that his current life is akin to slavery, which was a line I didn't fully understand. <laughs> um, so I, I'm basically like, is he describing being a servant to God as manifested in the messianic person of Krollo, or is like the Japanese terminology for slavery more like Roman slavery rather than like, you know, Western chattel slavery? And I'm very unclear here. Um, if anyone has any thoughts on that, please tell me, but I, like write in because I don't know. I don't know. It's tough to tell. I mean, observing from like most 
times when slavery is mentioned in any sort of like East Asian media, they typically draw from what they know. So historically what slavery has been defined within the specific country. So I don't know if it's like Roman or in ja- how it works in Japan, but at least from what I understand, most of the time it would be something where it's like akin to indentured servitude. Yeah, I could see indentured servitude. Um, I know that there was also like effectively surf classes mm-hmm. during like the Japanese medieval period. And that in addition to that, there were also like the Burakumin who were like sort of like the equivalent of the Hindu caste systems untouchables. Um, so none of these like really directly fit what I'm thinking, but like maybe if I knew Japanese, I would have seen the word he used for slave and tried to better understand. Um, but yeah, Shalnark then stabs himself and echoes the ant saying first come first serves as he goes into autopilot and uh, goes Super Saiyan. Dead. <laughs> he kills the guy instantly and then it deactivates and he laments how much pain he's now in. Also that he like, you know, didn't even get to experience the fight. So it cuts to uh, Pike fighting Shizuku and then it cuts to Phaeton who finds the queen and insults her by not realizing who she is. You know, very, um, you know, like when a celebrity is like, do you even know who I am? And the person's like, I have no clue. <laughs> He's too alt for this. <laughs> he really is. Uh, we, I think we've talked about him previous, or maybe it's this episode, but we'll do like a little bit of a character profile on him later. And he's way too alt for this. <laughs> so cut to uh, Kalato making paper dolls of his new family, aka the troop. And an ant shows up to threaten him. Uh, Kalito hits him with paper and fills him with paper cuts in his joints, cutting his steel whip with uh, his paper fan and then cutting him apart with snake dance, literally taking him apart step by step. Uh, Yeah, I I guess like, what did you guys think of this? I thought it was the least impressive of these fights. I think that was, I think that was intentional, right? I I think so too. But like when I read the manga originally, like, a couple of years ago, I thought it was a really cool fight, but like looking back, it's nowhere near as impressive as the others. I think, hmm, I think the, the feats are still cool, but I think the, the way that it was like presented, how it's just kind of like, I can only do a little bit at a time as opposed to like everyone just kind of like steamrolling their opponent is to like illustrate like the difference between like Kalito's level of power uh, between the rest of them. In fact, I, I might take a bit of issue with that but based on like, uh, Kalito's uh, like internal monologue later in the episode. I feel like it should have been like an either or situation. Like it should have either been like this fight or uh, the way that they had the monologue to like hammer that point home. Yeah, I guess like another thing that's invoked is they talk about Kalito enjoying taking this part, uh, this guy apart. So maybe there's a chance he could have done a cleaner job um, if he wasn't enjoying himself. Yeah, that makes sense too. Yeah. I did think it was very quite aesthetically pleasing, though. <laughs> this whole thing, at least with like how it was animated in agreed. The you should you should really check out the manga part of this because they go out of the way to make it look like um, painting on silk. Ooh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so then Phaeton goes hie on Zazan and says he knows she has a weapon, and she shows the tail and cut to Banolanov. <laughs> who has made the other ant uh, sick slash hallucinate with his attacks and his sounds. The ant tries to escape, and Banalanov starts spinning, making an attack that begins to shatter the vast, vast network of caves, and he fires a Nen ball in the shape of Jupiter at him, squashing him to death. 
Um, a little bit of a uh, note on this uh, from the Hunter Hunter fandom wiki. The theme used during Fink's Ripper Cyclotron scene is originally from the movie Hunter Hunter Phantom uh, Phantom Rogue Phantom Yeah Phantom Rouge. Rogue. Oh yeah, Phantom Rouge. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, additionally, the aforementioned ability is first used in that movie before it appeared in the anime. So that movie just kind of breaks continuity in a number of ways. Mm. So, uh, boof. Do you guys have anything to say about this before I move to the manga notes? Um, no, I can do the manga notes, Joe. I know you can speak for a while. So, on to the manga notes. So, during the news report, um, the unidentified animals, or the UMA, were originally called unidentified cryptids, which is a pretty fun. I kind of wish they kept that language. <laughs> Any cryptid enthusiast... Shout out to you. <laughs> BRB forming cryptid currency. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Like the ta- little bit of a tangent, but I've seen a lot of news pop up about that one, like a uh, possibly a chupacabra being spotted outside of Texas town. Have you guys seen that? That happens every couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the Bravdas victim are in pieces and censored at his feet, while Leol is bit off at the top half, bit off the top half of the reporter's body in one bite to indicate he wasn't someone in a costume. That's one way to do it. Yeah, just I'm real, bro. <laughs> I'm not a poser. <clears throat> and so. Zazan's general design in the manga is very horny. <laughs> I'd say even hornier than the anime. Yeah. So I think it's just a lot more skin. <coughs> I got something um, it's not only a lot more skin, she also has way bigger legs and somehow even bigger boobs. Yeah. I think face-wise... Because it's the lack of color, it's almost a little bit more ambiguous. Because at least, like, there's no lipstick, obvious. So I find that interesting. And then she kind of reminds me more of uh, Zarbon here than she does in the anime, <laughs> which I think is intentional, frankly. She kind of reminds me of what's his name, Sensui's demon boyfriend oh it's suki yeah i think just how the eyes are drawn i can see it yeah i i can see it but i don't don't think that's intentional yeah it could just be that's how togashi likes to portray beautiful but very dangerous people (laughs) yeah that sounds right (laughs) all right then pike disguised the troop as belonging in the wild and the ant that killed Ponzu is much bigger in the manga versus what we see in the anime. Yeah, he's like a buff boy here. And then the Bap warriors are also circumcised when they get needles. So when they make the holes in their body, they also cut off the tip of their penis. Oh, jeez. You know, that's that's where the extra whistle comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Cluedo, Cluedo's attack appears as if embroidered silk. Oh, yeah, that does look beautiful. 
because um, I think in the anime it was kind of nice because it was like, like a nice contrast like black background and then you could see the outline of um, his kimono but I feel like the manga definitely ups the aestheticness with having all the flowers in the background and finally Kaluto says even a normal person can cut chopsticks with a business card and this is in reference to the part where Kaluto uses paper to cut the steel ropes and at first I'm like oh is this an expression or is this like a thing and then I looked it up and it's a Japanese party trick where people use business cards to cut chopsticks in half interesting how does, how does that it's even weird. work? Like at first I was like, what the fuck? And then I just looked it up and found a bunch of party trick videos from Japan. <laughs> yeah. And that's cool. That's very cool. And then finally, Zazan describes her shirt as Chanel with an S, which could just be a parody of what real world Chanel with a C is. That's my guess. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Interesting. I see her more as a Versace girl, personally, <laughs> but <laughs> I could see it. <laughs> I don't know enough to comment. <laughs> you can't see it on both sides? I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> Lol. Well, uh, with that episode in, uh, you know, with that episode done, like, let's let's rate those deaths. Um, I think, who do we have here? We have the, all the dead cops. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what is the what is the phrase like life is a fuck kill them all fuck uh, off. 10 trillion dead cops it is like 10 trillion I am trash man uh, <laughs> that's the rating for the episode um, no but like yeah there's all the dead cops there's um, the newscaster who gets eaten um, th- there's a bunch of people who are turned into simps <laughs> So I think a lot of the mob, I would consider them mob deaths. I think we're, you know, just a little desensitized from it now. Like, they're okay. Um, shocking, but not too shocking. So I'd give it, like, a five. The reporter, I would give a six just because it was pretty gruesome. Yeah, and I'd add an extra point for the manga version where you literally just see the entire top of her body get eaten. Oh, jeez. Oof, yeah. Um, I think the guy that Shalnart kills, I'm gonna give that like an eight out of ten because that's badass. Where he like turns super saiyan, just runs through. (laughs) (laughs) Like no hands, no nothing, just collides with them. Yeah, his key just blows that guy up. Yeah, I would give Um, it the same. Um. What do you guys think of the guy, the gorilla dude? I'm going to say 7 out of 10. That's pretty badass. The one who thinks just blows up. I think uh, for the comedic timing, I got to give it a 7.5 out of 10. I can see that. Okay, yeah. I might even say 8 out of 10 if I include comedic timing. Yeah, I would give it an 8 too. I think it was just... <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. It's like, oh, word? Oh, okay, so the ant who killed Ponzu. I would like to give a lot of points because he killed Ponzu, but... Benolanov doesn't know that and definitely wasn't getting revenge for that. <laughs> I would say it's an added bonus <laughs> to it, like unintentional perks <laughs> for at least like a as someone who's been a, a like an audience perspective. Like, yeah, Benolanov doesn't 
didn't do it with the intention of um, avenging Ponzu, but I still felt vindicated. So I will give this an eight. <laughs> I feel I'd give this raw score seven, but I might subtract two points depending on whether or not the tribal mask was in reference to something specific or not. Ah, uh, that's fair. <laughs> Um, I know the, so I'm going to cover it later in some trivia, but the whole thing in his body is a reference to something specific, which is cool, mm -hmm. but I don't think they wear tribal masks, and I'll get into that later. I thought uh, Bolanov was, like, cool as a character, because I thought he was just going to be a no-nonsense no boxer that was just wrapped up all the time for some reason. So, like, his entire thing was kind of sick. Uh, as for the Jupiter kill... It's kind of goofy, so I think I'm gonna give it. I think I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. Sounds good. Um, yeah, we have something to tell you. Uh, <laughs> have you guys ever wanted to eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console? Well, power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom. So you won't miss pot points when you head to the fridge. What the <laughs> fuck? That's a very specific call out. Um, but high quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Best Buy, and Amazon. Or you can shop for them directly at HyperX.com and HP.com. And now, a word from our compatriots and benefactors. <laughs> Previously on Chat of the Wild. But what we have to do is there are these seeds in these little holes that we have to put specific water on mm -hmm. to make them grow up. And we get the Mario uh, sound effect for the vines going up. Yes. Like it's what, what exactly is the sound effect for Mario that they use? <laughs> Can you guys just do that simultaneously again? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Chat of the Wild. Breaking down Zelda and Zelda-like games, one dungeon at a time. Wednesdays on the HyperX Podcast Network. Hey, Joe, Brandon, do you want to review everything? No, yes. no, 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 hang on. That sounds like a lot of work. It's not. What do you mean? Yeah, it's not. Podfred Review, a podcast where we review everything and anything and get lost along the way. Find this podcast and more on the HyperX Podcast Network. going to discuss episode 97 carnage and devastation or gekito de gekimetsu originally released in japan uh, september 22nd 2013 and the equivalent manga chapters are 225 through 229 which were released in japan on november 22nd 2004 happy thanksgiving y'all <laughs> <laughs> And so the episode title, the name approximately breaks down to hit fight or hit destroy, but it. Oh, no, no. It's like hit fight and then comma hit destroy. Uh, okay. Hit fight, comma hit destroy, but essentially means the same as the English title. And the episode starts out with the fight between the Phantom Troop against the ants and Banalov. Oh gosh, Vanilla Love and Finks. Um, they meet up and are joined by Shalmark and Kaluto, um, who took long since he was enjoying torturing and dismembering that one ant. You know, fun times. <laughs> mm. 
Uh, it's weirdly reminiscent of Hibano and Kazamaru um, getting to the tall pine in Genkai's forest and then saying it took them a long time since they were having too much fun. Yeah, uh, not my idea of fun, but who am I to judge? <laughs> <laughs> we don't kink shame on this podcast. <laughs> I don't understand the youth these days or <laughs> in 19 in 2000, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I guess when I think about it, I was probably a couple years older than Kaluta was. I mean, what Kaluta looks you? young. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't know if you were 2011 when the, Oh, I'm thinking of the anime takes place. I'm thinking of the manga. Oh, then I was definitely a small, small baby child. Yeah. <laughs> I was like seven years old. <laughs> All right, then Zazan, um, basically nothing personal kids, Phaeton and kicks them into a wall. Um, Phaeton says he's out of practice and this is a good way to get back into it. And then we switch over to Shizuku and she disappears her vacuum to get out the webs attached to it and pike marvels at her materialization of blinky and uses his butt to do a love shower which <laughs> you're gonna want to explain that <laughs> so pike sees like a spider so he's basically shooting out webs it's an interesting way to to describe it as love shower i would not use that personally but i guess it does we don't kink shame here yeah I, this I feel like I kind of want to, but I will not. <laughs> basically, and then basically he traps her into a net web, which is essentially a dense sentence. Um, Shizuku does seem like she's screwed, but she manages to escape, deploying a fan service. Oh man! <laughs> and basically, because the string was actually only attached to her clothes, she manages. Manages to get out by stripping out of them. You know, probably one of the most, like, I guess, anime stuff that Hunter Hunter has done so far. <laughs> oh, man. And Shizuku says that she learned the range and speed of his attacks. And notice, um, without mentioning it, that his, his anus twitches twice before firing. Indicating that she's downloaded him completely. So how, I can't remember that she described this way when I was watching it. Oh, man. And she has... I, I feel if someone's anus twitches twice before doing something called a love shower, we're watching an entirely different category of anime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah... You know, Hunter Hunter manages to compass all types of genres, as we're learning today. Uh, nice. <laughs> and she has Blinky suck all the blood out of um, Pike's body. He tries to stop the bleeding with his hands, but he doesn't have enough of them. Um, and the dude has a lot of blood, but he gets super killed by being sucked dry. Funny. <laughs> um, they 
finish when um with Shizuku striking a pose <laughs> it, of course there's a boob jiggle because why not you know they're really going for it here you really are this is probably one of the most they lean into like a the like the anime fan service and i wouldn't expect it with her character specifically because there's a plenty of busty ladies that are very like i don't know i get the impression togashi's into like a velma like girl that's what i'm I mean, thinking too who isn't, honestly i, I mean, agreed who isn't but yes <laughs> And then just going for it, though. Just going for it. <laughs> Shoutouts to him, the <laughs> madman. Taste. <laughs> and Shizuku notes that Pike's corpse, um, that he could have sought the wing with his webs, showing that he wasn't the, he wasn't the smartest, but he did love the most. <laughs> Not that it did him much good. <laughs> yeah, GGs. All right, and then we are back to Phaeton versus Zazan. Um, it's continuing, and then with Gluto, he is blown away at how fast the two are, are fighting. And everyone is watching them, um, just enjoying, you know, the scene, <laughs> taking it in. The don't They don't even think about, you know, possibly helping out and jumping in. And... This is like thing you know from Joe. Is this like a commentary on the weirdness of shonen camaraderie? I'd also say like it's interesting because Kalato comes from a world of assassins as opposed to martial artists slash like outlaws. Mm -hmm. So you know, for Kalato, it's like no, get the job done. We don't need to enjoy ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I wonder if there is some sort of like either respecting like it's their um fellow fighters fight or and not if kind of intervening would show like a lack of respect to that or, i think so yeah or they just I, really like a good fight <laughs> no like so there are there are a few rituals that are just like quietly held throughout the show um that the phantom troop observes like the coin flip thing is something that Finks does most often, but that is the way that they like break like 50 50 decisions. Like, they oh, don't, you're right. They I don't argue about, about it. They, they flip the coin. And like, uh, they know that like, uh, they, they need an interim leader. And while they didn't like go into a backstory that this is the way we've always done it or whatever, um, everyone except for us, I guess, Kalato, because they're new, had the understanding first one to kill the boss makes the decisions until the boss comes back and yeah so, you're you're definitely right i f had forgotten about that and that is stuff that has been very clearly established mm -hmm. mm, that makes sense. i still think the quote-unquote arbitrariness of it could be still a commentary about like the kinds of people who would be in this kind of villain group but I like yeah i agree that it has been discussed yeah and i think shonen camaraderie i think that's a good point because when you look at other shonen animes or really Anything that's kind of centric around, like, the art of, like, fighting and honor that comes from it. Most of the time, no one interrupts fights because it's supposed to be something that's sacred. And mm -hmm. even if it's life and death, people are like, well, we don't want to, like, you know, encroach on his thing. We're just going to watch from afar and support it. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny how, like, 
as uh, the rest of the troop members started, like, you know, just, like, coming in, um, everyone kind of remarks, is like, huh, Phaeton seems a little slow today. And, like, that's it. Like, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's that, like, as much as, like, a throwaway, like, comment. Like, they're not worried for his safety or that the queen might be a powerful opponent or whatever. They're just like, ah, he seems out of practice. And, like, that's it. That's all. It's Tuesday <laughs> for them or whatever, knocking over this fortress. Yeah. And then Cluto, it's interesting because he himself is mesmerized at how fast and the two are and acknowledges that he has some room to grow, um, which is emphasized by the other members. And so Phaeton, he dashes, faints around Zazan, who catches his sword. She realizes that all her people are dead and Phaeton, while she's distracted, uh, shoots the end of his umbrella at her, um, like a gun of sorts, <laughs> aka the penguin style. Yeah, that's a good a point. I, think, I was like trying to think, like, what did this remind me of? And the penguin is like the probably the one, like a really good example. Uh, this does not make Zazan happy at all. Um, she is pissed about getting hit, so she removes her tail um and buffs up to get even so many times stronger but she progressively gets uh, also uglier <laughs> which is interesting <laughs> um and Phaeton tries to stab her up in the top of the head uh, with ko um and but even he, the reinforced when it's reinforced, his sword is broken um, when it comes into contact with her skin and she is left completely undamaged. And Phaeton's aura and being down with Ko caused a weak counterattack to damage him a good amount. Uh, Kluto asks if they should help, but the others are like, no, let's leave it to him. And they'll take a turn if he loses. And Kaluto mentions always having to wait and thinks back of his childhood with his siblings. And there's another Zolda child in the background. Ooh. Hmm, one we haven't seen before. Uh, just, just checking. Sarah, you don't know who this is, right? No, not my name, but I feel like I've seen pictures. But I have no, like... Sounds good. Yeah. I've seen pictures, but I don't know the context of it. I have not spoiled myself. Good. <laughs> it's a good reveal. And the times Ogi starts and he's glowing bright blue with red and black, you know, just like super edge. And he's about to do, like, <laughs> he's about to do the drag in the darkness flame. <laughs> oh, man. Good old callback to good old Hiei. Uh, he summons a suit, not a dragon, and <laughs> Zazan notes how he's so much stronger now. You know, like that, vi like that business formal really does a lot <laughs> to you. And um, Beton pulls a Zeru or Zeru and uses the guy from Yu Hakusho. I couldn't I think oh, it's I think his name is pronounced Zero, but like they spelled it differently depending on localization. Ah. Uh, and he uses the 
campaign packer to make an artificial star named Rising Sun. Um, the fire from the explosion blows out the entire building, and Phaeton laughs maniacally as Zazan is charred to death. And like a KOF end of a fight quote. <laughs> like a King of Fighters, oh, King of Fighters. Uh, end of fight quote, Phaeton says the death would have been more painless if she had done more damage. Oh. It, it felt very much just like a 90s fighting game end <laughs> quote. Yeah. And so with the queen dead, um, the converted people are left in a daze and they're crying now that the queen is gone. Um, Finks looks like he's going to scar. Go. He's going to like pull oh. a scar, like, you know, scar from Fulmino Alchemist. Oh, that makes sense. So he's going to basically mercy kill um, the ants, like, sorry, mercy kill Nina Tucker <laughs> in, in Fulmino Alchemist and ask who wants to be killed, but all of them want to be killed. Um, Finks says, nah. Never mind, I won't mercy kill them, um, but instead tells them to attack so she, they should still have some pride as the citizens of Meteor City. And with that, Finks and the others are annoyed about the council who are still deliberating, um, which plays into the idea that the Phantom Troop, as the disciples of Christ, are dissatisfied with the over-deliberator um, council of the, the Sanhedrin, uh, which were like uh, the rulers of like the land that is now Israel at the time of the Bible. <laughs> it was like a council of rabbis. Oh, I see. And Nobu calls them for help. Fink refuses. And we cut to Gon and Kilua. Um, they are preparing stuff in a bag to infiltrate East Cartel. Um, the narrator says that the selection will begin in nine days. Yeah, and with that, there's an added note about Zazan in particular. Um, so this is from the Hunter Hunter fandom website. So rather than just maiming herself by tearing off her own stinger, Zazan's sacrifice consists more of her beauty by transforming and then her ambition to become queen. So without her metasoma, she's unable to create subjects. So so it's like a big sacrifice to gain like a tremendous advance in power. Oh, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Because it's kind of the two things that gave her power, her looks and then her actual like tail, mm -hmm. at least in the way that she became the queen. She needed more, like, I guess, physical raw power to fight Phaeton. And then yeah. Zazan resembles Zarbone or Zabon from uh, Dragon Ball, uh, where they share an obsession with outward appearances, preferring something that's beautiful over a stronger form. And after shedding their respective shells, they become significantly more muscular, but also more hideous with reptile-like qualities um, in exchange their power increases drastically yeah and that is it with the episode uh, so real quick on the manga uh, Shalnark's autopilot looks less Super Saiyan in the manga actually he looks more like 
uh, I don't really know how to describe this. Like, you know, when Kirby gets spiky powers, his hair looks like that. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of looks like an antenna-ish. Yeah, there is one particular spike that is just way up there compared to the rest. (laughs) What if a human was a street shark? (laughs) Cue Vin Diesel talking about the round mound of pound. Um, But... So Pike described Shizuku's ability as profound. I wasn't sure if that meant like profound, like a thing about size or like profound as in like well thought of. Um, but in this one, uh, when Bihorn is mentioned as very strong, it just shows a picture of him just be like, remember who Bihorn is? And then they just cut away from it. It's like, why would you do this? <laughs> oh, I think was the research topic what, um, <laughs> what I just read about Zazan. Uh, I, I included some stuff about some of the others. Uh, um, I probably okay. should have just put them all together. I have some background on each of the fandom troop members that I've been kind of holding on to since uh, for a while. Because it's interesting trivia, but some of it would have been spoilers up to this point. Okay. All right. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, do you guys want to rate those deaths? All right. So we have Pike and we have Zazan. And anyone else? I'm thinking uh, definitely Pikins is on, but I'm. No, I think that I think those are. That's right. it. Those are. Right. Wow. <laughs> um, Pike. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy. Seven out of ten. <laughs> it was great seeing him get sucked out of, like, like dead. It was actually a really humiliating death, and I think yeah. like, they built up to that because I, I think if if it wasn't like if Pike wasn't like as creepy up until this point, like I think it would have felt worse. So I'm saying yeah. seven out of ten. Yeah, I would give it about the same, um, like 7 out of 10. I think Pike was never portrayed as a character to like, so mm-hmm. there is a sense of satisfaction of him dying in, in such a, like an embarrassing way. Mm-hmm. Um, bonus points that it was Shizuku, because she's awesome. Uh, the fan service was like a little like weird, but... I was like, kind of wondering, like, I feel like it's going to show up at one point in this anime. So it's interesting that it's I, this particular point. I feel like that one bit of fan service, like someone's been trying to stick it into like the show for so long. And they're just like, okay, but how do we get Shizuku to take her clothes off? And it's just like, what if she's fighting a spider person? She has to get out. And like, they've been pitching them for like, a, like <laughs> since they introduced the character, which would have been, I don't know, like a year or so at this point yeah <laughs> yo i got a funny story i follow a bunch of like uh latin american facebook groups for okay. hunter hunter and there's so much cosplay of her yeah no that makes sense like i if, i feel like i'd seen shizuku before i saw her in the anime like i mean oh yeah no oh, yeah. just like oh yeah i'm just chilling in downtown el paso <laughs> yes <laughs> this year um but yeah no i uh what, what did you guys think of um Zazan's death though because I'm I'm saying like 8 out of 10 because in many ways I think not only like physically but also conceptually she is like the miniature version of like one of the ruler deaths like the idea of like hey different ants here are trying to say different things about ideas of rule and ideas of control and she's just the simplest version of it mm. like through like literally taking over people while you know like people like the original queen uh and like Meruem are very different ideas of what it is to have control and like build an empire mm. she's like the simplest version of that but it's like cool seeing kind of a preview of like what's coming up i'll give her an eight like i mean you don't see someone get roasted by an artificial star every day 
Yeah, I think I'd also give it around an 8, too. Like, I thought the entire fight was very impressive um, and fun to watch, um, but I think it wasn't quite my favorite either. So, I think, but it's still pretty good. So, I give it. Yeah, I like it's kind of like a time for uh, Phaeton to shine, which was really cool. I also loved his. This is not her death so much as just like cool fight, bro. Um, but his use of Ko there is really cool because it reminded me of the part where Hiei kills Makintaro instantly, like when mm -hmm. he's like not looking, by just jumping on his head and stabbing him through the skull. But in this case, it didn't work because he didn't expect her to be so strong. Mm -hmm. It's actually a nice little twist just mixed in there. Yeah, like basically, if I was rating this as a fight, I would give it a higher rating because I think it really shows like a lot of cool stuff from Phaeton. But like, yeah, as just her death, yeah, eight out of ten. Um, yeah, so I have a little bit of uh, research, which we can either do the episode, like the episode, you know, what our thoughts on it were, or, or the research first. The research plays into the episode, so I could talk about that real briefly, if you guys don't mind. Hey, go yeah. for it. So uh, I decided to do some trivia on some of the, uh, some of the Phantom Troop now. Um, that kind of would have been spoilers if I had done them earlier. But uh, Phaeton, uh, this is, again, from the Hunter Hunter fandom wiki. Phaeton, people think that uh, his name is likely written with the kanji slash Hanzu, uh, which, when read in modern Mandarin, would come out as Heitun, which, you know, kind of doesn't exactly sound like Phaeton, except that if you look at um, the way that Togashi originally officially romanized Phaeton, it was as H-E-Y-T-U-N. And if you sort of make this with the kanji they said, it would be translatable as like Black Dawn or like Black Rising Sun, which is just a cool name. Um, in Japanese, if you were to take those same characters, though, it would be pronounced like Kuro Asahi in Kunyomi or Kokutun in Onyomi, neither of which really works. So you kind of have to look at modern Mandarin. And I think this kind of follows a convention they've established of like Phaeton being kind of an outsider because like they have him speak in broken, whatever the language is that the thing is in. So like him having like a foreign name does make sense. Uh, another thing that's cool is that Phaeton spelled P H A E T O N is actually the son of the solar God Helios and Eos, the goddess of the dawn in uh, Greek mythology. So that's like, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I think we've discussed on the show, but Japan loves pun names, like especially multilingual pun names. Uh, so the names of his abilities are Unforgiven and Burnt by the Sun, which are probably references um, to two movies. So there's the film The Unforgiven, which is a 1960 American Western film directed by uh, John Huston. John Huston? Huston? I'm not sure because it's spelled without the O where you'd expect it and starring Burt Lancaster and Audrey Hepburn, filmed in Durango, Mexico. The supporting cast features... Uh, you know, I'm going to skip that. The story is based upon the 1957 novel by Alan Lee May, author of The Searchers. Uncommonly for its time, the film spotlights the issue of racism against Native Americans and people who were believed to have Native American blood in the Old West. So the other one is Burnt by the Sun, a 1994 film by Russian director and screenwriter Nikita uh, Mikhailov and Azerbaijani screenwriter Rustam Ibrag. Ibrahim Bekov. Uh, you know, the Banolanov of our times. Mm -hmm. 
the film depicts the story of a senior Red Army officer played by Mikhailov and his family during the Great Purge of the late 1930s in Stalinist Soviet Union. While on vacation with his wife, young daughter, and assorted friends and family, things changed drastically for Cor- uh, Colonel Kotov when his wife's old lover, Dmitri, suddenly shows up after being away for many years. And, okay, so there's a reason I brought these up. Uh, w- one, it is interesting that the, you know, the names kind of follow this. But two, there is a theory that Phaeton is... I, I forget if I've brought this up on a previous episode of the podcast, but that Phaeton is like a lost Zoldic. And uh, either, you know, like a direct sibling or like a cousin or something. And I'm wondering if the choice of these films would kind of play into that. Like the idea of Burnt by the Sun's plot being like, hey, someone who was a relation suddenly showing up again. And the Unforgiven, the idea of like, uh, you know, racism against a minority to the point where I'm just like, so is like he like the illegitimate child of like Silva with like someone from like a foreign land or something. And that's why he doesn't speak like the native language. Interesting. But um, there's like other evidence and I don't, I don't necessarily think it's true, but like it does kind of play into that. And also I think part of the reason where even if it was true at some point, it will never happen in the series now is because I'm 99% that if it was true, it won't happen now because they saw what happened in my hero academia. And they're just like, Oh yeah, someone already did this shit. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting to think about. I think even just on a pure aesthetic level, he would be, he would fit right in into the Zoldic family. (laughs) But the whole theory behind it, I think could really work. especially from a thematic perspective, that's interesting. Is this like a theory that is more started from like the Western fan base of Hunter Hunter? Or is it something that's also on the Japanese side as well? I actually don't know about the provenance. Um, I know there was a video by uh, New World Report who does like a lot of lore and theory videos. Mm-hmm. Um, check that out. Uh, he talks about it. I forget it's been months since I watched it, so I don't remember the evidence super closely. We could probably talk about more lore theories at a, in a later episode. Um, but it, it, I won't say it's convincing in the sense of like, I don't necessarily believe it, but I'll say that I believe it enough to not think it's wrong. Like to not think immediately that it's wrong. It's more like up in the air for me. Mm. And I also am of the distinct belief that even if it was true at some point, it will never be true now because they, my hero already did it. So they're like, yeah, let's not fucking do this. I mean, that's fair. I think personally, I think if there's ever like a trope, like lost family, it's such thing that's so common in other forms of media. I don't see the harm in having it in another show. It's just on how it's done. Yeah. They just kind of cook it a little more. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like, I, part of the reason I think it would be maybe a reason for him not to do it is because like Todoroki already has like a lot of like young Hiei stuff going for him being ice and fire. And so like, I could see him being like, this is close enough mm. that I like to my previous work that I don't even want to touch it unless I come up with something ingenious. That's fair. Yeah. So I think it might just be a thing from himself where he's like, I cannot do this unless I come up with something crazy good. But who knows? It's been so. I mean, we'll, we'll we can talk about this now. But hey, guys, Hunter Hunter's back. Yeah, hasn't released yet, but it's back, baby. We haven't talked about this on an episode yet, have we? Sarah, you were on the last recording. I wasn't. Were you? Yes, I was. Did we talk about this at all? Uh, I don't 
think so. I think then the announcement became after we recorded. Well, guess what, guys? Hunter Hunter's back, and Togashi has a Twitter handle that is randomly generated, seemingly. <laughs> um, and he is, uh, you know, posting um, pages as he goes, kind of sketches. And uh, I'm very excited. I hope this means that I can get more people I know to actually read the manga because I definitely know some people who are fans of the anime who are hesitant to read the manga because of the incompleteness. But uh, y'all fucking read this manga. It's so good. Um, I guess, like, how are y'all feeling about this? Because did, did either of you read any of the manga or have you been anime only? Only the anime for me. So... I've, like, poked my head on the manga. I haven't read through it, though. Yeah, I I want to read the manga, but I feel like I'll spoil myself because I'll read so quickly through it. <laughs> Sarah, I appreciate your devotion. Oh, it's hard, man. <laughs> I love spoilers, <laughs> but I'm I will I'm resisting the impulse. <laughs> yeah, it just God, it's so good. It's um, it's what I wanted from the final season of Yuhak Show. <laughs> I can respect that. Anyways, uh, yeah, so we'll probably talk more about that in a future episode. But to another piece of trivia, we'll talk about Banolanov. Da 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 Banolanov. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> for a possible origin for uh, some of his uh, interesting characteristics, such as the holes and all that stuff, um, he has a basis in native Amazonian folk religion. Uh, Uakti is a mythical musician described by the Tucano people of the Alto Rio Negro region of the Amazon. According to the legend, the creature, which on in Portuguese Wikipedia is called a monster, had holes in his body such that they would produce sound when he ran or the wind blew through them. This music seduced women of the tribe so that the other men burned and buried his body. The myth holds out that the Uakti remains uh, that his remains grew to the palm trees from which the Tucano's flutes are made. Uh, the women of the Tucano Indians are thus not allowed to play the flute. Uh, the Brazilian instrumental group Uakti takes its name from this myth. So uh, I think that I think that probably is the origin of it, and I wouldn't be too surprised if Tagashi like you know took a trip to Brazil at some point, given. You know, I think Brazil looms very large in the Japanese imagination, partially because of the tremendous amount of Brazilian people who live there and the amount who have come back. Uh, Banalanov's Nen abilities are named after musical pieces or parts. Uh, present in the main name of his Nen abilities, cantabile is an Italian word and a musical term meaning literally singable or song-like. Cantar means, uh, cantare means to sing, so... You know, bile is just the Italian version of bull in English, which we get from French. So it's just literally singable. Uh, in the 2011 anime adaptation, Battle Cantabile Jupiter is shown for the first time. The background music during this and other parts of the episode is an arrangement on Jupiter from the planets composed by Gustav Holst. I remember playing Jupiter as a kid. That was the time. Or an arrangement of it. Didn't play the whole thing, I think. God. Yeah, no, it's, it's very... <laughs> I think Banolanov is just like a very interesting character that he has an attack named after Western music, but is clearly based on like indigenous folk music. Mm -hmm. And it just, um, I don't think there's any commentary there. It's just like an interesting choice. Yeah, they just did some stuff. Yeah. Basically. It's just, I think maybe it's kind of like, I think with a lot of 
anime and i feel like also no matter where the the it comes from if it's like a fictional universe and the author has like free decision on what to what references to take from different cultures of the real world it's most of the time it's going to be a mishmash and it will highly likely make no sense whatsoever but more be like the author found it interesting so they wanted to put it in <laughs> yeah i'm i'm now remembering a very recent thing i saw on twitter where someone showed some oh no no no! it's in a facebook group i'm in called like um latins speaking their own latin language to each other and understanding each other and so it's just different people who speak uh various romance languages speaking to each other in their own languages but all just fully understanding each other it's it's a cute group but someone posted some shots from the wild thornberries episode where they go to brazil <laughs> and there's like a native group who are using the internet in the jungle and they're just like, oh, we just thought you'd be more primitive. He's like, I mean, we've been doing that for thousands of years. Why don't we just enjoy ourselves every once in a while? And they're like, fair point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh... So, yeah, I'm just imagining Banalanov, you know, he got inspired for uh, his Jupiter attack by just like hearing a, a man say smashing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crazy oh man i wonder what kind of end user i think darwin's a natural not darwin uh what, what is it donnie who's the little kid it's donnie yeah, yeah. donnie yeah donnie donnie's a natural end user <laughs> do you remember that time that fucking debbie met that conjurer in versace yeah. i do remember that i do too that's everyone's favorite like hey what if i'm actually a lesbian but uh she's a a dolphin <laughs> that, that trope you know she learned a lot about herself that day oh my god and told no one and told no one ever some journeys you keep to yourself god um yeah i think i had previously told the little trivia about like <laughs> phaeton reading uh fucking what is it uh travis brown or trevor brown uh like fucking gross out like erotic comics uh in like various points in the manga before so like yeah just keeping with him being the biggest edgelord of all time classic yeah it's also in the 99 anime at some point he's just reading a trevor brown book because fuck it but yeah what did you guys think of these episodes because this is like the most exposure we ever get to uh meteor city I mean, I like that it feels fully formed, you know? Like, it, it's not like a thing that they're, like, that's a, clearly, a, like, an afterthought that we're just visiting so that we're meant to forget about it. It's just, like, no, Meteor City has a rich and storied history and all sorts of characters and things that made it the way that it is, and you get to see it for maybe 20 minutes. Have fun, I guess. Yeah, I thought so, too. And I also like the fact that even within like a place that would be so like what you would expect to be so counter to mainstream society, it still has the same problems of mainstream society, like a bureaucratic bureaucracy getting in the way of like finding solutions. Cause he realistically humans are indecisive and they take a long time to make decisions and come to a consensus. And that frustrates other people. Yeah. <laughs> Lol. Um, oh, there was something I was going to ask regarding that. Oh, did either of you guys read Get Backers? Yes. I always I, meant to, I never did. I watched it mostly. I didn't read it. 
Okay, so I never watched it. I I heard the anime was not as good, but I don't know in what manner. But you know Infinity Fortress? I think so. I'm trying to remember. That's where uh that's where um God, what was his name? Was it uh was it Gin? Like the one with the electricity powers? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's from there and he was like a leader of a gang there. And I feel like Infinity Fortress was like someone who like took Meteor City and was like, how do we make this like a developed society? <laughs> like with factions instead of just like a place we go every once in a while. <laughs> uh, although I think that was probably just like a, the trope of like the urban decay that has become its own society was probably just a thing in Japanese culture at the time, I think. Especially as exemplified by, like, how much people decided to use the Kowloon Walled City in, like, Hong Kong as, like, an example of, mm -hmm. like, for, for art. Um, but, yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's it for this episode. Uh, Sarah, do you want to take us out? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to The Spirit Hunters. Please hit us up with any questions, requests, or just to chat with us at our Facebook or Twitter at Spirit Hunter Pod. Also, heads up, um, check out our HyperX homies at, at podcast.hyperx.com and check us out at patreon.com slash spirithunterpod. Um, join our patron-only Discord group where we'll be discussing the shit out of Hunter Hunter, Yu Hakusho, and much more. And speaking Real of... Real quick, mm -hmm. uh, I was going to say... Um... I think we may or may not look into ways to change our Patreon in terms of reward tiers. I think, um, I'm not exactly sure the shape that will take, but that's something I want to talk over with the other hosts. Um, I think there are better ways we could be managing that and we'd like to make it more convenient, uh, for you guys as listeners and, uh, also kind of make it easier for us as well. So something that would like be better for both groups, I think is possible. And that's something I'm going to try to, move us towards uh i don't have like an exact idea of that yet but stay tuned and um speaking of the discord so if anyone's interested in joining but you don't necessarily have the funds um you can help us out by giving us a written review on apple podcast or on spotify now so just send us the link your discord username and enough evidence to connect the two and we got you each review gets a service to tens or hundreds more people. And finally, for today's intro and outro themes, they were made by Rifty Beat and Lydus De Leon, respectively. Check them both out on YouTube. And big shout out to our editor, Tommy. Um, thanks to him and his hard work, um, the rest of the crew are able to focus on doing more research and talking things Sagashi. And uh, real quick, mm -hmm. uh, Rocky, would you also want to just plug your stuff uh, one more time? Sorry, oh. I should have written this into the notes. That's my fault. Sorry, Sarah. No worries. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, once again, my name is Rocky Hardy. I do a podcast named Impossible Coin. Um, we are available on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Uh, fuck SoundCloud. Yeah, also and fuck SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, we stream on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at twitch.tv forward slash impossible coin. Uh, Tegan's currently playing near automata and I'm playing a bunch of stuff, but I'm going to be focusing on the demos that are becoming available during our spring or summer season. So. 
Nice. Well, thank you. Yeah, and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. And with that, thank you, everyone, and see you on the other side. Bye. Later.